Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. One of the frustrations of life and living in life before Jesus returns and makes all things new is that there are a lot of victories that evil people have, aren't there? You see it in your own personal life, in your jobs, in your neighborhood. You see it on the news. There are victories that evil people have, hateful people, who should never have victory, and yet they do have victory, which far exceeds anything you and I will accomplish in this life. It's frustrating. It's difficult. If you look at the world stage, right, you see, uh, you see like Kim Jong-un over in North Korea, who essentially, uh, people will sometimes say that it is an atheistic hermit country that has closed itself off. That's not true. They're not atheistic. They have a religion, and it is to worship uh, the, 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 the Kim Jong family. And everything that they do in, in that little small country is focused on worship of them. If you've read uh, uh, stories from and testimonies from people who've escaped North Korea, the, the starvation and the, the degradation, it's so horrible. And yet, he continues to persist. His power continues to go on. Uh, you look at what's happening in, in Russia and, and look at the church. Uh, Vladimir Putin has essentially divided the church with the propaganda, half believing, yes, everything he says is true, and the other half saying, no, th- 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 this isn't. Meanwhile, this is a report. This is not, uh, this is not conjecture. It's not conspiracy theory. Russia's been systematically taking children from Ukraine to who knows where. There's thousands of children missing, unaccounted for. And yet evil prevails. Look what's happening in China. China, which is going to be one of the most populous Christian nations. Our brothers and sisters over there, there are going to be more Christians there than in America in just a decade. But Xi Jinping, oh my goodness. the uh, I'll just use the word genocide that's happening with the Uyghur people. The horrendous abuse of rights that that he takes Christian pastors from their churches Sunday mornings, puts them into black prisons never to be found again. Nobody has heard of them. Bulldozing churches during Sunday service. And yet it doesn't seem like his regime is ever going to topple or ever going to stop. How should Christians respond to hateful people's victory? When, when evil has victory after victory, and again, accomplishes more than you and I will ever accomplish in our entire lives. How do we respond to that? I don't know about you, but I get frustrated. I get angry. I mean, the first thought is like, well, we're going to fight it, right? I tell our kids, we'll talk about what's happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ in China. And especially when they were younger, they would say, you know what? When I get older, I'm going to fight the government, Right? They got they got bad government. We're gonna go fight. The, we're gonna take the government down, like as if the government was like an end boss in a video game. Right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works, guys. We try to like explain to them the whole finer virtues of uh, of uh, governmental power and how everything works, and they don't get it. They don't get it. And me, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna fight it. But you realize you get to the point where you're like, you can't fight it. It's so frustrating. So do you give up? How should Christians respond when hateful, wicked, evil people have their victories? 
If you're here last week, that was Habakkuk's problem. He first starts off and he's saying to God, as he's in the southern kingdom, <clears throat> kingdom of Judah, he's saying to God, God, look at my, my, my fellow Israelites. They are doing evil, evil. And yet for centuries, you do nothing. What are you going to do? And God says, don't worry, Habakkuk, I have a plan. I am going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they are going to come down and they're going to bring Judah into exile. And that will be my discipline for my own people. And of course, Habakkuk answers him like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want you to bring justice into Judah. And what you say you're going to do is you're going to bring people far worse than us. He's like, I'm not saying that we're good, but, but Babylon is way worse than us. And you're going to use them to discipline us? That doesn't make any sense. And that's where we pick up the text today. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk complains to God and he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. Talking about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof? You who are purer of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with its net. He gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer according to my complaint. So Habakkuk, he's in a nutshell saying, Wait, you're choosing them? Those people? Do you know how evil the Babylonians are, God? He's I understand Judah's bad, but Babylon is worse. And these are the people that you are going to use to bring judgment upon your own people? Come on, you're, you're, you can't even look upon evil. You're so pure. And you're going to use them. This doesn't make sense. Why are you going to give them victory over your people? How should the people of God respond to the victories of evil people? How do we respond? How do you and I respond? How should we respond? I, I talked about kind of the global evil that we face, but we all have personal evil in our lives, don't we? Wicked people, injustice that we face on a regular basis. I, I can remember, um, uh, well, you guys have narcissistic bosses, not all of you. Barbara, not you. <laughs> uh, but, but you've all had bad bosses, right? You know, we've all had bad bosses. And man, it's so frustrating to see them climb and, and make, you know, get success and money and, and get promotions. Why are you promoting this person? They're the worst. I, I worked for a nonprofit organization uh, for a short time. I was on the board and the head of the organization. I mean, he was the absolute most narcissistic individual 
and, and not only was he narcissistic and everything was about him, but he would lie to one group about what the other group is doing and then lie to them about what's happening over here. And so it was Machiavellian. It was brilliant. I mean, it was evil, but it was brilliant. Like, so we're all ticked off at the other crew. Like, are you kidding me? They said that? Oh my goodness, right? Why can't we do this? This is, I don't know, guys. I'll go talk to them. You go talk to them. Do you know what they said about that? Oh my goodness. Like he just had everyone fighting against each other and he just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. So frustrating. You probably, some of you can relate to that. A number of years ago, a friend of our family, um, she, uh, she was in a marriage. The marriage was abusive. Uh, documented. Documented. And they go to family court to figure out visitation. And somehow, the abusive husband ends up with full custody of the children. You kidding me? Real God, come on. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Uh, we have uh, friends who were fostering uh, these kids from very, very, very young age. In fact, they were really the only parents that, that these people knew. And then somewhere, three years into this whole process, three years where the birth family can't get their act together, can't get their life together, can't even support and provide for themselves, let alone children, the judge who decided to retire almost a couple days later just says, meh, full custody, send the kids right back. Within two weeks, matter of days, those kids were homeless. How should we respond to the victories of evil people? That's what Habakkuk is feeling. Come on, God. You're holy. You're righteous. You know this isn't right. And you're going to let the evil people get victory? The emotion is hard. It's difficult. It's gut-wrenching. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about Babylon here. And it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So God says, okay, there is a plan. Something's happening. It might seem like it's taking a long time, but wait for it. It is going to happen, and I do have a plan. I do have a purpose. You just need to wait for it. Not only that, but it's almost like in verse 2, he says, make, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. We have that phrase, right? Do you want an engraved invitation? <laughs> this is what God's saying. I'm going to give you an engraved invitation. What I tell you, I want you to write down on tablets, okay? And the nice thing with something written on tablets is like the cornerstone that we have over here, right? There's lots of papers that this church has produced over the years that are just totally lost. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's books that have been lost. In fact, you know, we put books out for recycling all the time right now as we're trying to clean out the church. Uh, but engraved in stone, that lasts for a while. God is saying, my word is true, 
you can trust it. And Habakkuk, I know it's going to take you a long time, because think about it. I mean, trying to chisel something is a lot of work, which consequently nothing to do with the sermon, but that's why scholars believe Hebrew is instead of left to right is read right to left, because if you're right-handed, you pick up the chisel with your right hand, use left hand to chisel, and you can't chisel like this well, but you can chisel like this easier. So that's why it's, you know, the other way. But he says, write it down. My words are true. And then what we see here next is uh, a section called the woes to the Chaldeans, a woe to the Babylonians. And uh, it's almost like God gives us his top five woes, his top five curses, his top five decrees against the people of Babylon. I don't know. Any of you younger than me are not going to get the reference, but it kind of feels like he's doing a Casey Kasem top five. These are the top five woes for Babylon. Number one, or I guess he goes backwards, right? Number five. Um, so uh, verse six of chapter two, he says, God says, shall not all these take up their talk against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him, meaning cursed are you. Things are not going to end well for you. You're in trouble. That's what woe means. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in him. God is saying, okay, yes, I am going to use Babylon to judge Judah to judge my people. However, I am going to come and bring judgment to the Babylonians and woe to them. Cursed are they. They built, they have all of this. They've collected and stolen from so many nations. They've made themselves a target. If you could defeat Babylon, look at the treasure hoard you have. Wow. And everyone's going to want to turn against you because you have defeated everybody else. Number four. Chapter nine, sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. So you have done evil for your house. You set yourself up high and it's going to fall your own evil. You've devised shame for your house, right? So by, by lifting yourself up so high, everyone's going to see when your destruction comes. You've already prepared your own destruction. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity, on evil. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Number two, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Everything you've built will be destroyed. I mean, it's wickedness. They're saying, like, the Babylonians, they're like people. So we have the same problem today. People who, who encourage others to get drunk, to get high, and then they take advantage of them. Whether we're talking physically, whether they rob them, they, they, they take advantage of them. That's what the Babylonians are like. You encourage nations to involve yourself with them, and then you take advantage of them, then you conquer them, then you pillage them, and it is all going to come to an end. Verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and 
as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol? Excuse me. This is now the last one. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. So God is saying to Habakkuk, look, I am giving these evil people this victory. It is a temporary victory. You should respond to this temporary victory by trusting that I have a plan. I am working. And that's the same true for today. How do we respond to the evil victories that we see? Whether it's on the world stage, whether it's at home in our political system, whether it's in your own personal life, in your neighborhood, in your job, even within your family. God is saying to us today, trust that he will bring justice in the right time. He has a plan. He is not blind. He is not ignorant of the situation going on. He knows your voice. He hears your tears. He knows everything going on. Trust that he has a plan. He will work it out. God will not tolerate evil forever. The image that he gives us here with with the woes to Babylon is that evil destroys itself. It is the nature of evil. It is the nature of sin. That is why as a church, oh my goodness, I I think I mentioned the statistic already. (laughs) The average church in America mentions sin three times a year. Boggles the mind. (laughs) Um, It's an issue. Why? Because sin destroys us. God doesn't say, don't sin, because he's like, don't have fun. That's not, like, God's not a killjoy. He's saying, don't sin, because it's going to destroy you. The nature of sin, the nature of evil, the the nature of wickedness is it destroys itself. It is self-defeating. And so God says, yeah, I'm going to use the Babylonians to stop the injustice that's happening in Judah. But the wickedness of Babylon will destroy itself. When I was a kid, I would, uh, you know, I tried to be a helpful kid. I actually did try to be a helpful kid. Not all the time, not a perfect kid. I was my parents' favorite, and my brothers aren't here to, to argue the point. So I can just make that statement, and <laughs> that is a statement, not a fact. Anyhow. I would often like, you know, kids running around and everything, and I'd look at the floor, and I'm like, oh, there's like dirt and mud on the floor. So I would, being the helpful favorite child, I I would like want to help my parents. So I would get a sponge, and I would clean the floor. And every time, my mom gave me a hard time about it. She flipped out, and she yelled at me, and she got angry. Why? Somebody knows. Somebody knows the answer. Why? Because she what? Oh, no, 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 no. She, she. What, what? Yes, I was using the dishes sponge. <laughs> and I couldn't get it through my little head. I just couldn't. So I would be, you know, the, the sponge we use for the dishes, I'd be like, whoop. And then everything that we walked through, the mud, the dirt, probably the dog poop, because, you know, kids running around, whoop. 
And then I'm like, all right, now we clean our shoes or our dishes, the things we eat off with this, right? And she was like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta use the floor sponge. And now I'm looking at her like she's crazy. The floor sponge? Who's got a floor sponge? The floor sponge, it's under the sink where you would keep the floor sponge. This went on for years. It took forever to learn. Not a smart person. You got to use the floor sponge, right? Because you don't want to use what you, you don't want to use a clean sponge for your dishes on the dog poop floor, right? You don't. In the same way, I think that's what God's doing here in Habakkuk and by using Babylon. He's saying, I am using the floor sponge to deal with the floor dirt, I'm not going to come and say, oh, hey, Habakkuk, I'm going to empower you, my not perfect, but my faithful servant. Uh, I'm going I'm to come. You've been faithful to me, and you love me, and you try to live by justice and righteousness. I'm going to empower you to come out, somehow bring discipline to these wicked people. No, that doesn't make sense. Have you ever seen that? Where like a truly good person decides to lower themselves to the scuzzy level of the person that they're against? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And you know what? They never win because you can never out-scum scum. Can't do it. So God says, I'm, I'm using the floor sponge here, people. Habakkuk's like, whoa, come on, use me. He's like, they're not listening to you anymore. I'm going to use the floor sponge, the Babylonians, to clean up this mess. But I'm also going to bring their destruction. Evil destroys itself. Don't be frustrated. Certainly don't get jealous over the victories of evil people. Evil people's victories are short-lived because evil ultimately destroys itself. Whether it's from someone else who's evil or through their own machinations, evil destroys itself. Don't get frustrated. All right, I'm going to show you a video here in a second. Oh, video. Wow, I didn't know he was that kind of pastor. Usually not, but I think this works. I think this video gives us a good example of a good image of what happens when evil destroys itself. So take a, walk, a watch and then we will talk about it. Oh, <laughs> 
Audio ran a little ahead of that uh, that video for some reason, but the idea is there. The protagonists of that are the little birds. The antagonist is actually the big bird, and the big bird he's just coming over and he's like, "Hey, I'm cool," and, uh, and the little birds want nothing to do with them. But ultimately, through their pecking his feet, they've undone themselves. It's a good image of evil destroying itself, sinfulness destroying itself. Uh, the big bird didn't do anything. And I think that is a good image of what us Christians are called to be in a world of frustration, in a world of darkness, in a world without hope, is we're not supposed to come in and be like, hey, let's be like the rest of these little obnoxious birds, or hey, we got to be as big and bad as everyone else here. No, we're called to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And to a world where, I mean, for crying out loud, I do like to, I, I like to watch movies. I like to watch all genres of things. But man, everything right now, it's like dark and gritty reboot. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, the dark version of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Why? Why? <laughs> I don't get it. Everything's got to be cool and dark and edgy because now we're grown up. And it's like, no, come on, don't. Don't give me the Batman like that. I want Adam West Batman. Give me the 1966 with all the colors and all the stuff, right? Um, we're, we're so dark, and, and it's like Christians, we're so tempted to be like, we got to be grown up and dark, too. It's like, no, we don't. Let's be like this stupid big bird, and we're coming in here, and we're like, I got the joy of the Lord. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Is it contagious? I hope it is. I hope it is. And, and, and yet we, <laughs> we so far often, we get jealous of people because of, of the victories that they have. Look what they've accomplished through their evil. Yes, but Christian, just like God told Habakkuk, we have to understand evil destroys itself. Don't get jealous of them. Eventually, their own justice will turn, circle around and it will come for them in the right time. When you and I see wickedness, we need to respond to it by trusting that God has a plan to bring justice. 
And we need to wait for it, just as God tells Habakkuk, wait. It might not seem like it's coming right now, but wait. In verse 3, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will not delay. Now, some of you are in here and you're saying, well, I'm objecting to this text. Why doesn't God act now? If God is all-powerful, and he is, and he's all-loving, and he is, and he is a God of justice, and he is, why doesn't he do something about the injustice right now? I think there's two reasons. We see all throughout the Old Testament, the Torah, the prophets, in the Gospels, in the, in the epistles, even in the book of Revelation, God delays to bring about justice immediately so that people have opportunities to repent, right? This is why God tolerates hateful people for a while. He will tolerate. He will allow them to continue their evil, to continue their injustice, to continue their sin for a while so that they have an opportunity to repent and hear the gospel and turn to Jesus Christ. He gives it to everyone. I was talking about this idea with a friend not too long ago, and, and the amazing response to the question that, uh, that we actually have on the board out here, and the title of today's sermon, Why Does God Tolerate Hateful People? She just said, well, he tolerates me. I was like, wow, that is an incredibly humbling thing for you to say. But think about it. All of, all of sin did fall short of the glory of God. We've all had our issues. We've all had our sin issues. And yet God in his loving patience He's given us enough time to repent so that we can trust in Jesus, so that we can have our sins forgiven, so that we can be transformed, so that we don't have to fall under God's justice. Instead, we can experience his grace, his favor, his mercy. And so if you're here and you're looking at evil people on the world stage or just in your own personal life, you're saying, God, why? Why? Why don't you do anything like that? I love Habakkuk because I'm like Habakkuk. Come on, God, do something. Well, I think one reason is that God says, I'm waiting for them to repent. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. That's one reason. I think the other reason God waits is the reason that Habakkuk gives here. God has a plan and it is beyond your and my imagination. Who in the world can foresee the end of all things? I'm going through, I'm through, going through like the Lord of the Rings with my kids right now because that's the kind of person I, I am a nerd. In fact, I, we were talking last night, the kids and everything, and I'm like, you realize your mom married a nerd. And my wife corrected me. She says, oh no, the king of the nerds. <laughs> you also hired a nerd. I, well, the amazing thing is there was a point in there where, where uh, Frodo, who has the one ring, he's got to throw it into the fires of Mount Doom. He says, oh, it's a pity my uncle didn't kill this golem creature coming after, after the ring. And Gandalf, the wizard, he rebukes him. He says, no, pity. Pity is, what, uh, is why we're all still here. And ultimately, if you read the books, it's not so much in the movie. After pity after pity after pity against these evil creatures is why the ring ultimately gets destroyed. Not because of our own goodness. And evil ended up destroying itself. Evil destroys itself. It is beyond our imagination to know how God will bring good from a situation. It really is. I don't know how God can bring good out of an abused person losing their their parental rights to the abuser. I have no clue. I don't know. My imagination is not that big and neither is yours. And anyone who tries to answer that question, like, well, maybe. No, like, forget it. 
You can't. But I do know the character of my God, and I do know that he is a good God, and I do know that he is a loving God, and I know that he has a plan. And so even when it's hard, even when I can't see the end of all things, I have to do the hardest thing of all and say, God, I trust that you have a plan. I don't see what good can come from bulldozing churches in China and dragging off pastors and Christians into prisons that they'll never be seen again. I have no clue what good can come from that. And neither do you. But I know the character of my God, and even in the darkest hour, I can see a glimmer of his goodness. I can see a glimmer of the future, and I know that he has a good plan. And I know somehow what man intended for evil, God can use for good. I don't always feel that emotionally, but I choose to trust. I choose to trust that he's good. I choose to trust when he says he has a plan, and that plan is good. I choose to trust that the words at the end of the book of Revelation are true. It's like those obnoxious people. Some of you are those obnoxious people. You get a novel and you go to the back of the book and you read the last few pages. What is wrong with you? There's, I can tell. Some of you are laughing. You're like, yep, I do that. I do that. What is wrong with you? That's not how books work. Well, you know what? We have seen the ending. We have seen the ending. And if you are in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he died for your sins and rose again, no matter how dark the day is today, we know that the ending is good. And we know that things will not be the way they currently are. They will be the way they ought to be. We know that King Jesus himself will wipe every tear of sorrow from your eyes. And pain and death will be no more. We know the ending. Big spoiler alert. Jesus wins, and if you're with Jesus, you win too. But our imaginations can't wrap how God can bring good out of the suffering we see in this life. And so he calls us to trust that he will bring about judgment. He'll bring about justice in the right time. Many people today will say that the church is on the wrong side of history. We're wrong about uh, sexual ethics. We're wrong about the Bible being the inspired word of God. In fact, if you quote Jesus, where Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. That is seen as a bigoted statement now, that, that, that the exclusivity of the gospel saying that we can only be saved through the person of Jesus. That's seen as bigoted, like, well, what about this and what about that? And it's like, you know, like I, I'm Baptist, so I believe in people's freedom of personal conscience. If you want to believe and act however you want to, as long as it's peaceable, that's fine. I'm okay with that, but I'm still going to say it's wrong if it doesn't have Jesus at the focus and the center. But we're called, we're, we're said, you're, you're wrong. You can't do that. You can't believe that. You can't act that way. And you know what? Truthfully, church, I think uh, in the short term, we are on the wrong side of history. I think we're going to seem weirder and weirder. We're going to be like that bizarre weirdo bird in that short. And everyone's going to be like, what is wrong with you guys? And your audio doesn't sync up correctly. What's wrong with you? It's so weird. You Christians are weird. We don't get you. We don't get you. You're just like this giant, goofy, weird bird. You got a smile on your face and everyone thinks you're weird because you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But I think in the long run, we're not. Because we've seen the end of the book. We know how the story ends. We know King Jesus will come back. 
And that gives us confidence. The hardship that I see with so many of my brothers and sisters in Christ, not just online, but in personal conversations, is there so much fear. Oh, we're going to lose the country. Oh, this is changing. Everything's hard. Yes, everything's changing. Yes, yes, we're, we're, we're seen as weirdos. Yes, life is uncomfortable sometimes if you're a believer in Christ. Yes, you have to get into these awkward, difficult conversations. Yes, it might cost you financially. Yes, it might cost you a job. Yes, it might cost you relationships. but I know the ending of the story, and it's a good ending. That's why most people I know who flip to the end of a novel flip to the end of the novel because they're like, I want to make sure it ends well because if it doesn't end well, I'm not reading it. I want a happy story. I want a Hallmark movie. I don't want a gritty HBO Max reboot. We know the end of the story, and it is good. He's got a good plan for us. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. Next time, church, when you are in a situation with a boss at work, with a neighbor, with a family member, or you're watching the news and you're getting overwhelmed, so much evil, so much evil in this world, I think the thing we need to do, we need to do one of the hardest things that there is to do, one of the bravest things is to hope in the face of hopelessness and to say no, I know this looks bad now. Somehow God has a plan in this and King Jesus will come again and make all things right. That's our hope. So the next time you see evil, wicked, unjust people have their victories, don't get angry about it. Don't come up in arms. Don't try and fight them. Don't become hopeless and certainly don't become jealous of them but instead choose to trust that God has a plan to bring justice to this world. You are loved, you are cared for, you are beloved. Evil destroys evil. God has a plan, God is working. Trust in the plan. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our congregation. Certainly on the world stage, but in our own lives, we see so much wickedness, so much evil, and that evil has victory. Father, you are not the author of evil, but you control the outcome of sin. Just like the story of Joseph in Genesis, what man intended for evil, God will use for good. You can control the outcomes, and our imaginations simply aren't amazing enough, simply aren't deep enough, simply aren't creative enough to know how you can bring so much evil to a good end. We don't know. But Father, I pray that you help us to focus on what we do know. We do know that you are good, and we do know that you love us because of Christ Jesus, because of his blood shed on the cross for our sins. We do know that the resurrection power of Jesus is working in and through us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We do know that you have a plan. We do know that you will make all things right when King Jesus returns. Help us to trust in that plan and help us to go forward in confidence in faithfulness to you. As we see evil and wickedness all around us, may we trust in your unchanging character and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.